got that going. All right, if you have Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses 13 through 17 this morning. Thirteen through seventeen, the baptism of Jesus. We're looking at the baptism of Jesus this morning. Matthew chapter three, verses thirteen through seventeen. Now, last week we looked into the ministry of John the Baptist uh, at the beginning of this chapter, and we saw where he was the forerunner of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, his purpose in life was to prepare the way of the Lord's ministry. And let me just say this: that was his only. Uh, 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 occupation in life. That was why he was born, was to be the forerunner of, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He had no other purpose but to do the will of God. And that's why he was birthed, was for that special purpose. Not many uh, uh, people in the, in, in the uh, biblical uh, times were born for a specific purpose such as that. But John the Baptist was, and, uh, that, and he fulfilled his ministry to the T. He did exactly what he was told to do and what he was, uh, uh, came to do. And uh, he done a great job. Now, he accomplished his task by preaching the uh, repentance and the coming of the kingdom. However, part of his job, uh, as we will see today, was the baptizing of the Lord himself. All right? And some may suspect, why would the Lord need to be baptized? Knowing that John's baptism was that of repentance... Why, why would Christ need to be baptized? Did, did he have need to repent? Uh, some might would ask. Uh, was he guilty of sin? Others might would think. So many questions arise from the act of, of the Lord uh, uh, with him being baptized that we do need to dig into the verses here and find the answers to these questions. And we will. We will find the answer to these questions here this morning. And uh, Of course, we know that the Lord was not guilty of sinning nor had he reason to repent of anything. But that still leaves us with questions on, then why was he baptized? Why was he baptized? And uh, we'll, we'll dig into the scriptures here and these verses here, and we'll, we'll find that answer along with a, a couple more uh, answers for, uh, for things also. Let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. We'll get started this morning. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the many blessings you've given us throughout this week, Father. But now we're here sitting in your sanctuary, Lord. We're, uh, we're ready to get into your word. And uh, we, we've sung some wonderful songs. We've worshiped you in our, in our singing, Father. Now we want to, uh, to hear from you, Father, from the Holy Spirit this morning. Father, uh, I ask, Lord, that you would help me to keep me out of the service and to only promote you, Father, and allow the Holy Spirit to use me as he sees fit in the preaching of the word this morning, Lord. Uh, I need your strength. I need your help, your guidance, Father. Uh, bless today. Open the hearts of the minds and the minds of the people, Lord, to where they will, will, will receive your word, Father, as they ought to. We ask these things in Christ's precious name. Amen. Now, this morning, I have four points I want to give you. With the first being uh, the person. Or you could put on there the persons. We're speaking of two people here in this, in this text. But this would be uh, verses 13 and 14. Under this point, I have two subpoints, one for each verse, and we'll begin with verse 13. The first subpoint um, is the person to be baptized. The person to be baptized. That's verse 13. It says, Then cometh Jesus from Gal uh, Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. 
At this time, it is reported by Luke that the Lord was about 30 years of age. That's Luke chapter uh, 3, verses 23. We see that. About 30 years of age. Up until this point, he had lived a life of seclusion in a small village called Nazareth. Somebody's locked out. But he lived in a small village called Nazareth, living in a, a, a meager carpenter's son's life, not, not doing much uh, as far as that we know of, of anything significant, but he lived in obscurity there, all right? There was nothing appealing to his lifestyle to this point. He, he, he grew up poor, okay, like most of us in here. In fact, the only history that we have of him as a child, other than his birth, was when his family visited Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover, when he was of 12 years of age. That's the only history that we have. And it was at this point that Mary and Joseph lost their child uh, while, while they were there. They lost our, our Lord and Savior. They lost him. All right? uh, and after a three-day search... Come on in. How you doing? Hallelujah. Come on in. We're glad to have you this morning. Amen. But he was 12 years of age, and, and after a three-day search, his, his uh, uh, mother and Joseph there, and I, I guarantee you Joseph was a nervous wreck. I mean, he done lost a Savior. You know, he, he, he's lost him. Don't know where he's at. He's probably, he's probably worried, uh, anxious, and everything else, and you know Mary was. But they find him in the temple, sitting and listening to the doctors speak, and also asking them questions. Twelve years old. Luke gives us this record of, of, of this in his gospel, chapter 2, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. But now we see that he, like many others in the nation here, were coming to John for the purpose of baptism. John had a huge ministry. Remember, I told you last week, John didn't go to the, to the, uh, to the big cities of, of, of Israel. He didn't go to Jerusalem. He went, he went out into the countryside, to the hillsides, and, and they flocked to him. They came in droves to John. They came and they heard him gladly, it said. They were being baptized by him. And his disciples, as we know of in the other Gospels, that he did have disciples that were baptizing, helping him in baptizing. But if you were new to church, to being in church, if you were a newcomer and uh, you wasn't, wasn't familiar with the Bible and, and the things of the Bible, some, some may would ask, uh, what is special about Jesus? Why, why do we have so much written here about Jesus? Why is it His baptism uh, even being recorded here? What's, what's the big deal uh, of Jesus here? Why do we have such an emphasis he, uh, of Him in the scriptures. And with this question, uh, several things popped to my mind. First of all, uh, uh, in the scriptures, the Old Testament prophecies, uh, they are all about the coming Messiah. And, they, and those, those prophecies about the coming Messiah is about Christ. It's about Christ our Lord. For they are all fulfilled in Him. Each prophecy that, that was prophesied of Christ was fulfilled in Christ. Okay? Then we hear from the Word of God that uh, Christ Himself says that He is the way, the truth, the life. And that no man cometh unto the Father but by Me, He says. 
The importance of Christ is that we cannot see God without going through Him. That's the importance of Christ. That's why there's so much written in the, in the Gospels about Christ. That's why we have a Bible that is Christ-centered and that's, that, that speaks of Christ. Every page speaks of Christ it's one way or the other. It's, it's, a, it's, it's the book, the Bible is about Him. The importance of Christ this morning is that we cannot see God without going through Him. He is the only way. Did you hear me? He is the only way. He is the only truth. The truth that we have, if you don't set your life up on the Word of God as being the truth, not the Constitution, not, not the bylaws and stuff that we have and the ordinances that we have uh, uh, in, in our local governments and state governments and national governments. No, if, if you don't set your, your life upon the truth, the Word of God, then you're setting yourself up for a fall. Amen. Amen. You're setting yourself up for a fall. This kind of cuts out the coexist movement, doesn't it? I've always said that when somebody tries to coexist, they put Christ last. If you notice, the, the cross is represented with the T in that coexist, coexist. And where's the T at in that? It's at the very end. I'm here to tell you this morning that salvation cannot come by any other means except by Christ. Without Him, there is no hope. Amen and amen, yes. This is what's so special about Jesus this morning. If you're saved and you're on your way to heaven, it's because of what He has done for you on Calvary. And no one else could have given that to you. Your parents could not have given you salvation. Your grandparents, nobody, nobody we know could have given salvation to us except Christ. That's why He's so important to discuss that's why the, the Bible is full of, of, of passages about Him and about what He has said and what He has done. This is why He deserves our very best that we could ever offer. Our very best time that we can offer Him. Our very best manners that we could offer Him. Children, our very best of everything. This is why uh, we say that you ought to dress your very best when you come to the house of God. Because you're entering into a place of worship. This place has been sanctified, which means it's been set aside for the use of God's purpose. We don't hold raffles inside of here because this place is holy. It's set aside for the purpose of the preaching of God's Word. Well, we don't have uh, rummage cells inside the church building here because we set this place aside for a purpose. No auctions are done here. Uh, we, don't, uh, we don't have uh, political debates behind, the, behind this pulpit here. I won't allow that while I'm here. Uh, uh, we, we, hey, any political person that wants to come here that's running for office, if they want to come and sit in the pew and listen to the preaching of God's Word, they're welcome. Don't get me wrong. But they're not going to stand up behind the pulpit and tell you what they think uh, they, they can do and how they can run uh, Greensboro or the state or the nation better. That, that's, that's not what this pulpit's for. This morning, I understand, uh, I mentioned something about our, our, our dress this morning. We don't have a dress code here, so to speak, as a written dress code. But uh, I do say that we, we, uh, we dress our best in the fact that, if, hey, look, if all you have is T-shirts and, and blue jeans, then you pick out your best or your cleanest T-shirt and your cleanest pair of blue jeans and you wring them. You wear them. We're okay with that. Why? Because if that's what, that's the best you got, that's the best you got. 
I don't have, uh, you have to wear, look, if you have a suit and tie, wear it. If it's clean and, 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 and uh, been pressed and whatnot, not wrinkled, go ahead and wear it. But look, if the best you have is t-shirts and, and blue jeans, then wear your best. Amen. But we do that, we say that we, we were our best because we're coming to the house of God for the, for the purpose of worshiping God Almighty. I've seen, you know, I've went to singings before at other churches and the pastor's up there in flip-flops and shorts welcoming the people in. I, I'm thinking... I know it's informal as far as uh, they're having a singing. They're not, it's, not, it's not a church service, but I still don't think I could bring myself to walking up on this, pole, or this podium right here in a pair of flip-flops and shorts when I know I've got something nicer to, to wear. We've, got, we've, got, we've forgotten where we're at sometimes. We've forgotten where we're at. Next. We have B, the person baptizing. The person baptizing. This is verse 14. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me. What an interesting question here, or a statement. We were introduced to John last week, okay? Here we see that this tough fella standing is forbidding the Lord. He's forbidding him. But he's not doing it in an arrogant way. He's doing it in humility. All right? It's, it's in humility he says this. That John was a close cousin of the Lord. And he was not sure that Jesus was the Son of God. But he probably has his, has his suspicions that he was. He wasn't sure yet because he hasn't seen the sign. But he was thinking, this may be, this may be him. Remember that his mother, Elizabeth, and his Mother's cousin, Mary, the Lord's mother, they were cousins, and Elizabeth was told how Mary had conceived. You remember the, the story back, back in the first chapter here where uh, Mary goes to visit uh, Elizabeth for a few months while Joseph was thinking all these things, you remember? And when she, when she came into the house with Elizabeth, the baby, John, John the Baptist, leaped in her womb at her presence. Therefore, he did have good reason to suspect that Jesus was the Christ, although at this point, he was not sure yet. The Gospel of John gives us a little bit more detail concerning John's promise from God, uh, which is uh, the second part of John 133. We're going to look at the whole verse here in a minute, but let me just give you the last half of John 133, where he says, The same said unto me, this is John speaking, he's speaking about what God had told him. He says, The same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. So even before John knew for certain that Jesus was the Christ, he had much respect for Christ, thinking that, yes, this could be, this could be it. He could be the one. Next, we see point two, the permission. Chapter 3, verse 15 here, the permission. Matthew says here, And Jesus answering uh, said unto him, Suffer it to be so now. For thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. 
All right? Now, we know that John wasn't trying to be cross with the Lord, but rather felt as if, if he wasn't even worthy. All right? He wasn't worthy to be the one who baptized the Lord. And here we see that Jesus urges him to do so, uh, to, to actually to do the baptizing for him. Now, we must remember that uh, it wasn't because he had need to repent. Christ didn't have need to repent. That's not why he was baptized. But it's for another reason. Now, some imply that the reason why uh, was that the Lord was setting an example to all those after him that need to be publicly baptized to show their allegiance with him. Now, although this has good reason and the, uh, we could read into this, however, this was not the reason Christ initially was baptized, okay? We are commanded, you and I are commanded by the New Testament scripture to be baptized. Christ uh, has commanded us. Uh, our Lord instituted it right before he ascended into heaven. Matthew chapter 28, we will eventually one day get there. Matthew 28 verse 19 where he says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. So God, Christ does give that command before he ascends to heaven. And it's because of our Lord's command here that we get baptized today. Now, we're to be baptized after we have received Christ as our Savior. Never before. You, you get baptized before you get saved, you're just dumped. You're just dumped. Right? That's why the Baptist does not believe in infant baptism. We do not believe in infant baptism because of this. Um, let me just stop right here and say that our Baptist forefathers paid a heavy price for taking a stand against infant baptism. All right, they, we, our forefathers paid a heck. I'm talking about were murdered. Were murdered because of this, because they took a stand against the Catholic Church for their for their stand on infant baptism. A baby does not know it's a sinner. Okay, a baby doesn't know it's a sinner, and the baby doesn't need uh, doesn't know that it needs to be saved. <clears throat> Therefore, this can't show others that the baby has received Christ as their Savior. All right. Also. There's a false doctrine out there of baptism which says that you must be baptized in order to be saved. And, and that's straight. That, that's a lie also. Put it in those words. That's, an, that's a lie also. We know that salvation is by faith in the finished work of Christ plus nothing else. Amen. It's in Christ only. You can't add to what Christ has done for us on the cross. To add anything to salvation is not salvation. All right? Doing so adds your, uh, your works to your faith, which becomes self-centered and not Christ-centered. Amen. Yes. There are a lot of people who get this doctrine twisted by taking one or two verses of Scripture out of context instead of looking at it in the scope of the whole Word of God. Yes, amen. Back to why our Lord was baptized. It was not for our example, but rather, as he stated here in this verse, to fulfill all righteousness. You might say, brother, I don't understand that. What do you mean? What are you getting at? Well, now we're going to look at the whole verse of John 1.33 and see what it says. Let me read it to you. He says, uh, this is John speaking. John says, and I, know, and I knew him not, speaking of Christ, and I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water... Who was that? Who sent him to baptize with water? God. God did. All right. He that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. Okay. Our Lord came to fulfill every jot and tittle of the law. Did you hear me? His purpose 
for being down here in order to be our Lamb of God without blemish was to fulfill every jot and tittle of the law. Okay? At this time, baptism was required by God. That is why John the Baptist was performing baptisms. Because God told him to. It was required. All right, therefore, this is why the Lord was to be baptized. He came to fulfill every aspect of the law. And if he had done, done so with every other thing but this, he wouldn't have met the requirement of the law. Because this was one more thing that needed to be done. That's, my friend, that's why he was baptized. To fulfill every jot, every tittle of the law. Next, we see the promise, point three, the promise. This is verse 16. It says here, And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. Here we see the obedience of the Son to the Father in that he was baptized. Second, we see that he was not sprinkled, but submerged into the Jordan. This gives us the example of baptism by submersion. Sorry, Methodist, it's not sprinkling, it's it's submerging, it's it's going into the water. And we also see that Christ didn't stay there, did he? He, Right when he was baptized, he immediately got up. Why? Because he had something to do. He was on on a mission. He was was not going to stay there. Baptism wasn't the end for him, it was the beginning of his ministry. Okay. Next we see in this verse something glorious happened. The heavens were open. And the Spirit Godhead comes down in the form of a, of a dove here landing upon the Lord. This is amazing. And we find uh, in a few minutes here that we see that the Father also joins them in, uh, verbally and speaking audibly out here uh, about His Son. And here you have it, the triune Godhead all together here on earth for just a moment. What a time it would have been to be alive and seen that. What a time. And John Phillips has something amazing here to say, and I want to give this to you. It's a little bit lengthy, but it's worth noting here. I want to give this to you. I like how he gets this insight. He says, quote, First, the Holy Spirit descended like a dove and came upon him. This was Christ's anointing for his public ministry. The same Spirit had brooded over the face of the waters, as we've seen in Genesis 1-2. And ever since the fall of man, he had been hovering over the sons of men and looking for one on whom he could rest. Noah, after the waters of judgment had abated, sent forth a dove and flew to and fro across the face of the still receding waters, but finding no rest, returned to the ark. Similarly, over centuries of time, the dove of God found no home in the restless seas of humankind until he alighted on God's true ark, the Lord Jesus Christ. And coming to rest on Christ, the Spirit anointed him for the work that now lay ahead. Christ uttered not a single word, took not a single step, made not the slightest move in his public ministry until his holy anointing took place. There never was a time when the Lord Jesus was not filled with the Spirit, but He was anointed at His baptism. He goes on and says, In the Old Testament, priests, kings, and prophets were anointed for their ministry. Their symbolic anointing found its ultimate counterpart in the anointing of the Lord Jesus by the Holy Spirit. 
The meaning of the name Messiah or Christ is the anointed one. And it was in the power of his anointing that he, uh, he as man performed each faucet of his ministry as the Christ of God. End quote. Amen. What a wonderful statement. Amen. What a wonderful statement. Yes. The types in the Old Testament showing us uh, the things that, that would happen to Christ. That dove that Noah set out of the ark there. Lying to and fro. Couldn't, she, it said that she couldn't find no rest for her, her, the soles of her feet, so she had to come back to the ark. My soul. Amen. There isn't much I can add to that, amen. Let's look at the last verse here. This is point number four the proclamation. The proclamation, verse 17. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Here we have it. The Father joining the other two of the triune Godhead meeting together for the purpose of the Lord's beginning the earthly ministry of His with the Father and the Spirit seeing Him off. This signifies that up to this point we know that God the Father is satisfied with what the Lord is about to do. He has, he has gotten His orders from on high, so to speak, and He's about to start His journey. And now His journey begins, the, the journey to the cross is beginning which is a long, hard road. Almost four years for him to, to take that, to complete that journey. But he does it. We know that the Lord uh, perseveres and he makes it there, completing the purpose of why he came to this world to begin with, as our unblemished lamb. Amen. But there's another thing that we see here in this verse. God's audible vo voice is one that could be heard by others. No doubt, one in particular was there watching from the bushes. And that was Satan. He's watching to see if this Jesus was the Christ. And when he hears God's audible voice, he knew. He knew. This was, this was God saying, this is my son. He's going to carry out my plan my, for, for redemption for mankind. Satan, let's see you try and stop him. It's at this point the gloves come off. Satan has signaled Christ in his crosshairs and that's the one he's going after. For the next few years, Satan does everything he can to hinder, to prevent, to fumble Everything that Christ does to no avail. The Son of God is one and other. Yes. Today, you and I and all of God's children can thank God for His persistence, for His accomplishment for our redemption. He began His journey uh, that day coming up out of the water and He finished it on the cross. He won the victory over Satan. He won the victory over this world. He, he won the victory over our own flesh. Today we have salvation full and free because of what the Lord accomplished. Not due to anything that we have done ourselves. It's all the work of God. Hey look, that's why I said baptism is not what saves you. It's just a public, uh, public acknowledgement of who you belong to now. Salvation was full, fully paid through Christ 
On the cross. Paid in full. Amen. Yes. Today, are you saved? Have you trusted in Christ as your Savior this morning? Have you, did, have you, have you got a, a moment in time that you can remember that you, you've asked Christ to save you? You realize that you were a sinner. You realize that you was on your way to hell and that you realize that, that there's no other way, no other option that you had, no other plan that there was except through Christ and His forgiveness could get you to heaven. Is there a day that you remember? Is there a day that you can look back to and you can remember, I trusted in Christ. I'm saved. Then, are you saved? But have you never been scripturally baptized? If not, I urge you to do so. Not because it saves you, like I said, but because the Lord commands it. The Lord commands it. It shows others your allegiance to the Savior and you turning loose of the things of this world and reaching forth to the things above. I don't care for these things anymore. I want to, hey, I want to be a disciple of Christ. I want to be obedient to His Word. That's why we get baptized, for obedience. That's why we're baptized. This morning, I'm done. Two questions. The first is the most important. Are you saved? Are you saved? Brother, sister, let me tell you something. This world and the people of it will deceive you. They will deceive you. There are are preachers behind pulpits today that are deceiving their flock, telling them that they're okay. Things are going to be all right. That they read the end of the book and we're all going to be okay. Well, he's wrong if he's saying that we're all going to be okay, that we don't have to do anything about it. Because if you haven't never trusted Christ as your Savior, you're not okay. If you never trusted Christ as your Savior, things aren't going to look good for you. The best you've got is now. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. You keep putting it off, and tomorrow will never come. Tomorrow will never come. The most important question you could ever be asked, the most important question that you could ever answer, is not how much you've got in the bank. It's not who do you, who do you know. Where you have been, what do you have accomplished in your life? But the most important question that could ever be asked and answered by you is, are you saved? Are you trusting Christ as your Savior this morning? That's it. That's it. If you can answer yes to that, then hey, everything else, not as important. Everything else can wait till tomorrow. Then the second question it's not a life or death question, but it's a, I want to follow the Lord and be obedient to Him. And that's, have you been baptized scripturally, publicly? If not, I want you to think about it. Just think about it. I don't have the water filled up in the baptistry. I can't baptize you today if I wanted to. I don't, it takes hours for that thing to fill up, I'm sure. 
But you can get with me. You can say, brother, I, I need to be baptized. We'll set up a time. We'll see if anybody else needs to be. We, you know, we'll dunk uh, one or many, whichever the, the case may be. We'll fill it up just for one. We'll fill it up just for one. But just think about it. Pray about it. See what God will have you do. We, we know. But you, you gotta, your heart's got to be in it too, though. To be obedient to Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for your son and what he's done for us. The life that he lived, the perfect life he lived, the perfect sacrifice he was, the opportunity to give all of mankind salvation if they so choose it. They so choose to believe in Christ. Oh, Father, you're so good to us. You're so good to us, Father. Help us. Help us not to ever forget your graciousness, your kindness, and your love. Yes, your mercy, Father. Help us not to forget it, Lord. Today, as we go our separate ways, Lord, help us to remember and think upon Christ, our Redeemer. Christ, our Savior. And help us to be grateful and thankful of who He is and what He's done for us. Father, bless as only you can. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.